Eve, I think that's a song we can all relate to. Well, I hope you brought your Bibles and have them ready. We're going to open them now and uh, have our main message. We're going to turn to the book of Colossians to get started. And as we do, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this opportunity. We want you to know, Lord, that we believe that you died on the cross. And by doing so, you pay the penalty for all of our sins. And Lord, we believe that you rose from the dead. Your scripture tells us so. And you have given us the gift of faith to believe that and to make our life depend on that reality. So with that in mind now, we want to know further how this applies to us individually. What's the meaning for us today, Lord, that uh, you'll have us understand and live? So we pray the Holy Spirit's help now as we read the scripture, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I said, uh, we're going to start off in Colossians chapter 3. And uh, we're thankful for the gift of God's word, his revelation, because we understand things that most people who don't pay any attention to God's revelation don't understand. It gives us a real meaning of life and for our individual lives as well. Notice... Uh, what the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Colossae in chapter 3, verse 1. Speaking to Christians, as I'm speaking to you today, to believers, this is what Paul says. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> what does that mean? We're talking about an event that happened some 2,000 years ago in the city of Jerusalem, when Jesus, the Son of God, rose from the dead, we weren't alive at that time. Uh, that was long before you know, our parents even came on the scene to, to give us life. But yet, Paul says here, since you have been raised with Christ. How is that possible? Well, God's Word teaches us that when Jesus Christ came down to this earth, he came to be in union with the human race, with each and every one of us. And as he lived his life, he included us all in what happened to him. For example, Jesus lived a perfect life without ever once sinning. And what he has done is he has credited his righteousness to each and every one of us. Amen. Wow, that's awesome. So as we struggle in this life with our sins and, and with the mistakes and, and with the troubles that we have, we know and have confidence that Jesus' perfect righteousness has been credited to us, to our account. Now that's something we don't deserve, something we could never earn ourselves, but that's what God's grace is all about. Furthermore, Scripture tells us, when he died on the cross... We died with him. He included us. He kind of, in a sense, gathered us all together, all human beings, past, present, and future, who have ever lived, and he included us in that death. And it wasn't just a matter that Jesus died for our sins, but we died with him. He, he included us in that. So we actually died with him as he paid that penalty 
for the sins that we've committed. Furthermore, it says that we, when he rose from the dead, we rose with him. He included us all to start a new life, a spirit-led life. And to take it even one step beyond that, the Bible says that when Jesus rose up to heaven, when it was all said and done, that he gathered us again and, and took us with him. Okay, so we have ascended with him in that uh, sense. Okay, now, okay, all that happened. What does that mean? Well, when we hear that good news of what he has done for us, how he has forgiven our sins and extended grace to us, which none of us deserves, it's up to us to believe that message, okay? To accept Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, to enter into a relationship with him, which we will have for all eternity. Now, God doesn't force us to believe that or accept that to be true. In fact, Scripture seems to say that there will be people who will reject that, who will say, I don't need a Savior. You know, I, I don't need any help from anybody. I don't need God telling me what to do or how to live. And those are the people who, by their own choice, you see, will end up in hell separated from God. But we have a responsibility when we hear the gospel, and that's why it's called good news, because it really is good news, because no matter what we've done in this life, Jesus Christ, by his death on the cross, has proclaimed us not guilty. And we are not guilty. Nothing can be held against us, Scripture says, because of Jesus. And who we now are in Jesus Christ, we're sons and daughters of God the Father. And Jesus said, you know, God the Father is not just my Father, he's now your Father. So he says when we pray, we should pray, our Father who art in heaven. What a wonderful thing Jesus Christ has done for us. But notice as he says here, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. And all of this is demonstrated when we are baptized. Do you remember uh, when you were baptized? I was baptized twice, actually. I was baptized as a newborn infant. And I don't remember any of that because I was too young. I'm thankful that my parents baptized me or had me baptized by the priest and the Catholic Church. But when I reached about the age of uh, 23, 24, and I came to understand that, uh, you know, baptism in its true significance, I, I believe that my baptism was legitimate, but baptism was to take place by immersion. In other words, uh, it wasn't just a matter of a priest holding a little newborn infant and sprinkling water on his forehead. I mean, that's fine. But the way baptism was done anciently was to get a river or a big vat of water and to have the person to be baptized sit down in it and the person baptizing them kind of holds their nose and puts them completely under the water and then brings them back up. And I thought, man, I want to be baptized that way. You know, I'm glad that my parents baptized me, but I want this baptism to be, to be my choice. I want to experience it to the fullest. So sure enough, a minister in this church baptized me 
many, 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 many years ago. <laughs> and uh, I got the point. You see, I was, I died, I was crucified with Jesus, and I was buried with him. And when I was put under the water, I got that point, <laughs> okay? But then when I was brought back up out of the water, it taught me that I was also raised with Jesus, you see? I acted it out. My baptism was an act, an acting out of what Jesus accomplished for me. So baptism's great. It, it teaches us that lesson. It reinforces what Jesus has done for us. But you know what? When Jesus came back to life after his crucifixion, when he came out of that tomb, he was different. He was now not just flesh and bones physically, he was glorified. He was changed, okay? And if we were baptized with Jesus Christ, that means we're changed too. Amen. You know, we're, we're not quite at the point where when Jesus returns, we're going to receive a glorified body, but we are changed. And I want to talk a little bit about Jesus after his resurrection from the dead and how we are similar to him, okay? I've got four points here for you to consider today. First of all, when Jesus rose from the dead, he put away his burial clothes. You know, back in those times when people were, were buried, they didn't put a suit on them necessarily like they do today. Or if you are part of an organization, maybe you're, you're buried with your uniform. There were special burial clothes. And you notice the story, when they came to the tomb to anoint Jesus and he was gone, they found his burial clothes were neatly folded and right there in the tomb. But Jesus got rid of the burial clothes because he didn't need them anymore. You know, he had another outfit he was wearing. But there's a lesson to be learned in that. If we died with Jesus and if we rose with Jesus, we had a certain type of burial clothes, if you will, that we wore in death. Now, you remember... The story of Lazarus, a man whom Jesus rose from the dead, the Gospel of John. Jesus came to the location there. Lazarus had been in the tomb for several days, and everybody was concerned that, you know, the body was stinking now as it was decomposing, but Jesus said no, and he called Lazarus out of the tomb. And Lazarus, if you can imagine, a man who's been dead for three days comes staggering out of his tomb dressed in his burial shroud, one of the first things that Jesus said after he brought him back to life was, get rid of those burial clothes. Because he's not dead anymore. He doesn't need those. He doesn't need that dress anymore. Get rid of it. In a similar way, you know, we are told, since we have been raised to, from the dead with Jesus, that burial clothes that we wore that symbolized death should be put away. The Bible teaches us that our way of life is sometimes described as the outfit that we're wearing. And the Bible tells us that we should take off certain things and we should put on certain things. Now, it's not talking about the latest fashion that you buy at the store that, you know, wear a certain kind of suit or a certain kind of dress. It's talking about your way of life. Turn with me to uh, Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4. So if we have been raised with Jesus... There are some burial clothes that we need to get rid of. And it signifies a certain way of life that we were dead in, in our sins. 
So that's something you have to an answer personally. Ask yourself personally, okay, if God has just brought me from death to life when I chose Jesus to be my personal savior, what is it in my life? What, what burial clothes was I wearing when I was dead in my sins that now that I'm alive, I need to get rid of? It says in Ephesians uh, chapter 4, beginning in verse 22. You were taught with regard to your former way of life. And I'm talking about the lifestyle that you had, the sins that you lived in, the habits, the addictions, whatever the case may be. You were taught about your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So there's a change in attire, if you will, that takes place since we're now resurrected with Jesus. Just as Jesus put away his burial clothes because they probably smelled, or you know, certainly in the case of Lazarus, you know, his body was decomposing for three days, and who wanted to be near those burial clothes? They represented death. They represented decay. So likewise, when we come to Jesus Christ and ask him to be our savior, when we accept his sacrifice on the cross for our sins, there's a certain lifestyle that we now must put aside. It represents death. We were living in death. Jesus has now brought us from death to life. We all have to ask ourselves individually, what type of clothing were we wearing that represented our former way of life? Which habits, which sins, which uh, attitudes do we now need to put aside? God is transforming us into the likeness of Jesus Christ, but we participate in that transformation. You know, God has given us a mind. He's given us the ability to reason, to look at ourselves. Maybe if you want to look in, at yourself in the spiritual mirror and say, okay, I'm a Christian now. What ways of life are still hanging on to me? that I need to get rid of, to put aside, and put on something new. We're actually putting on Jesus Christ. You have to ask yourself that question. Because you're, you're born again with Jesus. You're, you're raised from the dead with Jesus. What changes do you need to start making? And you know what? If you've been a Christian for 20, 30, 40, or more years like me, some of you have been a Christian longer, it's high time for some of those changes to, to take place, Right? We need to be honest with ourselves. We need to reason and say, you know what? Here's something I've been carrying most of my life. It's time to put it away because <laughs> it represents the old dead lifestyle that I used to live that God has saved me from. So that's the first thing. Put away the burial clothes just like Jesus did. Now the second thing that Jesus did after his resurrection, and don't forget, after he rose from the dead, he hung around the earth for 40 days before he eventually ascended up to heaven. So during those 40 days, what did he do? He hung out with the disciples. He hung out with the disciples. Now, Jesus' approach was much different from what my approach would have been. If I were Jesus, and I've shared this with you before, if I went through that whole business of being accused falsely, 
of uh, people lying about me so that I was arrested and taken to the high priest and then eventually to the, the, the political ruler, Pontius Pilate, if they did all that to me and I didn't deserve that, the beatings, the torture, the uh, calling me names, people spitting in my face, if I were Jesus, <laughs> the first thing I would have done when I rose from the dead is go back and face all of those people who put me to death unlawfully and I would have said, how do you like me now? <laughs> but that's me and my carnality that still lingers in there a little bit. But Jesus didn't do that. He didn't go back and face all those people who mistreated him and put him to death unlawfully. He just hung out with the disciples for those 40 days. He didn't make any public scenes. He didn't go back and get revenge or retribution from anybody. I need to be more like Jesus. <laughs> but he hung out with the disciples. He limited himself to his followers. He taught them. He spent time with them. He had meals with them. And I wanted to know, well, why didn't he go back out and just cause a furor in, in the city of Jerusalem and present himself to everybody? It wasn't time. He's going to do that when he comes back the second time everybody's going to see him, and everybody will know who he is. But it wasn't his time to do that. He limited himself. There's a, a scripture here in John 14, verse 22, that I stumbled upon the other day, and it kind of answers questions that I've had. Jesus is, is talking to his disciples here, and I'm sure they wondered the, the same thing. Jesus, why are you just hanging out with us? You're the son of God. You're the Messiah. Why don't you get out there in, in public and make it known who you are? It says here in John 14, verse 22, Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, but there was another disciple named Judas, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Because that's why he came. He came to prepare the disciples, to teach them, to make sure they knew who he was and that they had faith. And he did whatever he could to help their faith grow. He came to this earth to hang out with his people, those who believed him, his followers. And his time wasn't, hadn't come yet for him to deal with the world directly. Like I said, that time is coming when he comes back again. But if we're raised from the dead with Jesus Christ, we should hang out, not just with Jesus, but with his disciples, with his followers. That's why we're here today. We're hanging out with God's people. We're being taught. We all are of one mind here. We believe the same thing. We have faith in this, this son of God who died on the cross for us and who rose back to life. You know, the scripture said, uh, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Because you know what? When we're here, Jesus is here with us. You don't see him, but I guarantee you, Jesus is in the room right now. Doesn't it say where two or three of you are gathered together in my name? So I'm there with you. Amen. So if we're raised from the dead with Jesus, let's do what Jesus did. Hang out with his believers. There's a, a power that exists here. There is a growth that exists here. We come here to be fed spiritually. 
We're being nourished by Jesus Christ. Whenever we have on a monthly basis the communion service, Jesus is there serving us the bread, serving us the wine or the, or the juice. He is nourishing us spiritually. We all need this. We all need spiritual nourishment. If you don't hang out with God's people, you start to go a little goofy. You know, I know people who, for whatever reason, got involved in other stuff. Job, a hobby, whatever the case may be. It could be even family, but they kind of wrote off church. Not important. And that seems to be a growing trend today in our society. The younger generation doesn't see a need for God. So, uh, and in a lot of cases, the parents aren't teaching them about God. So these, these young people don't really have a direction. And if you ask them about God, they have some weird and goofy ideas about God. Where did they get them? Well, maybe from the internet, <laughs> maybe from the Game of Thrones or some, some weird game they're playing on, online. And they didn't get it from God's word. I can tell right away when somebody starts talking about God, whether their ideas are from God's word or not. <laughs> See, we, here, we come here to study God's word because this is the source of God's revelation. Amen. This is what we believe. If you don't have this, if you don't meet with people who believe the same thing, your mind goes crazy. And you start to come up with weird and strange ideas about life, about God, about what happens to you after you die. So it's a good thing that we come here. We're being fed and nourished by God. Just like Jesus did, he hung out with his followers. He hung out with those who believe. Okay, so point number one, put away the burial clothes if you're raised with Jesus. Look at your personal life. Don't look at others. Don't say, well, he needs to get rid of those burial clothes for sure. No, it's you. Look in the mirror. What is it about how you live now where you're still wearing some of those clothes that you were dead in? you know what? They kind of stink. And you need to put them aside. Secondly, you need to hang out with Jesus' disciples, just like he did. A third thing that Jesus did after his resurrection is there was a certain power, we'll call it the Holy Spirit, because that's what it is, that was made available to him in a special way. During his earthly ministry, before his death on the cross, he was limited in so many ways like we are. You know, if he came to a door, he had to open the door and walk through it to get into the other room. But after his resurrection, you read about the apostles being in a room, and all of a sudden Jesus is standing there. <laughs> he didn't come through any door. He just appeared. That's Jesus in his glorified fashion, okay? There was a change that happened there. There was a, a power that was available to him now that he put aside during his early ministry. A power. Understand that the power that Jesus had after his resurrection from the dead is the same power that's in us. Now, we can't walk through doors yet, but the Holy Spirit dwells in us in a very powerful way. Notice it says in Romans 8, verse 11. Let's turn there. Romans 8, and verse 11 says this. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit, which lives in you.
through his spirit who lives in you. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, the Holy Spirit, now dwells in you. There's no difference. Now, he's not allowing you to walk through walls yet because you don't need to. Who knows? In the in a special case, somebody's chasing you, trying to kill you or whatever, and you cry out for help. God, help me! And you're trying to run away from this person, and all of a sudden you run through a wall. It could happen if God felt it was necessary at the time. But knowing us in our human nature, we'd want to show off and say, Hey, I'm a Christian. I got the Holy Spirit. Watch this. You know, you start running through, through the wall, but all of a sudden you hit the wall and you end up on the floor. And God just kind of shakes his head. When will he learn? The same spirit that dwelled in Jesus Christ now dwells in you. So what can you do? There's no limit to what you can do. Miracles happen in your life now, whether you realize it or not, because the Holy Spirit is in you. Just the fact that you believe what you believe, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he died on the cross to pay for your sins... That's a miracle through the Holy Spirit for you to understand that. Because there are billions of people in this world who don't understand what you understand. And so many times we just take it for granted, you know. That's a miracle in your life. For you to change in your life, to put away the the deeds of death and to live the deeds of light, that's a miracle in your life. How many times have you prayed for healing? And here you are sitting before us healthy. That's a miracle in your life. So many miracles have taken place. Remember what Jesus said in John 14, verse 12. John 14, verse 12. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father to send the Holy Spirit (laughs) to us. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. Don't lose sight of that. Sometimes we don't think about such things. But the Holy Spirit literally dwells inside of you. And the same power that he used to raise Jesus from death to life has been used in your life and continues to be used in your life. Draw from it. Make use of it. So here's three things that Jesus did after he rose from the dead. The dead. He put away his burial clothes. You know now how that applies to you. He hung out with the disciples. You know now why that is important to you to do the same. He lived with Holy Spirit power, the same power that is available to you. And finally, when Jesus rose from the dead, I think he was counting the days because it was only going to be 40 days till he went back home. And he did. We read in the first chapter of Acts. That he got together with the disciples for one last time, gave them a commission, and then he lifted up into the air, disappeared in the clouds. And I'm sure Jesus was very excited about that because you know what? It was a big difference. It was a big come down, if you will, and from his original existence in heaven, dwelling with the Father and the Holy Spirit for all eternity, that's life. And you can imagine what the change was when all of a sudden he became conceived in the the womb of a woman and was born as a crying baby in the town of Bethlehem. And he lived on this earth for about 33 years. How much of his pre-existence did he remember during his earthly time here? We don't know. But 
it came to the point after his death and resurrection, he just thought, 40 days, man, and I'm back at the right hand of the Father. I don't know about you, but I really would have looked forward to that. <laughs> to get back into that dimension, to get back into the spirit realm, to have all these angels you know, bowing down and singing hymns of praise, I'm thinking, man, that, that's great. That's what I want. Remember Paul, when he was getting toward the end of his life, and he, he, he wrote to one of the churches and he said, well, I don't know. Uh, should I pray that my life continue with all that I've suffered and all the persecution? Uh, or should I pray that God takes me now and be with Christ, which is better by far, comparing heavenly life to this life? So Paul got the point. He knew, hey, what we're looking for, forward to is so much better than what this life has been. You know, this life has, has, had, has had blessings. It's had a lot of trials and a lot of pain. But we're talking about an existence where there's no more pain. There's no more trials. There's no more grieving. There's no more tears. There's no more sin. Because when you get to that point and you're living in the dimension God lives in, full with the Holy Spirit, none of us are going to have any desire to sin any longer. So Jesus looked forward to that. Do we look forward to it? We're raised with Christ. It's just a matter of time before we receive our eternal reward. How much anticipation do we have? Let's turn to Philippians 2, verse 1. It talks a little bit about that difference in existence that Jesus experienced, and it's going to be the same with us. Philippians chapter 2. Beginning in verse 5, it says this, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or held on to. He put aside his divinity, if you will, to come down to this earth. Verse 7, But he made himself nothing. Okay, that's human life as compared to God's existence in heaven. When he came down here and became one of us, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, because of what he did and what he experienced, God has now exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every name should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Man, that's something to look forward to, to return to that lifestyle, if you will, that existence. How about us? Does it come to our mind every day about the future that God holds in store for us, that Jesus paid the price for on our behalf? Because when you're thinking about the future and you're thinking about where we're going to be for all eternity, you're thinking, man, this relationship I have with God, I want it to grow. I want want to get to know him more. I want to be spending eternity with him. This love that I have for him, I want it to grow and develop Because that's my place, the place that's been prepared for me. 
So four things that Jesus did after his resurrection. He put away his burial clothes. He hung out mostly with the disciples because he enjoyed being there with them. He lived with Holy Spirit power and he looked forward to heaven. His return to heaven, our going there because that's our, our place of reward. Now finally, back to Colossians 3 where we started. Verse 1, Colossians 3, verse 1. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. We understand that that's a reality now. We experience that through Jesus, okay? Since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God and where you soon will be seated. That's a promise. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Don't lie to one another since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of the Creator. You say, but Pastor John, these things are too hard for me to give up. I've been doing these all my life. Well, the Scripture says with God all things are possible. You need to pray. You need to get on your knees and ask God to remove the chains, to open the jail cell door and set you free because you've been a slave and you've been a prisoner to these things for too long. God has the strength to change your life. Yeah, you participate. You need to take the first few baby steps, but he's there with the massive power to bring about a miracle and to change you. He says in verse 12, therefore, as God's chosen people, yeah, that's me he's talking to. I'm God's chosen people, and so are you. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion. Okay, you took off the burial clothes. Here's what you put on. Clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another, even when they don't apologize. You forgive. Remember Jesus on the cross? When he was dying, he said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. And nobody came up to Jesus on the cross and apologized, but yet he forgave them. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts. We, we as a people have more to be grateful for and thankful for than anybody else. We have been given generously what we don't deserve. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. Heavenly Father, what an awesome calling you've given us. 
in the midst of this world of billions of people, you have given us revelation. You've told us the truth about how things really are. And it seems that so many people don't care or reject it or don't feel they need it. Uh, humble us every day to remind us why we need a savior, but also that we're forgiven in the midst of our sins and in, in the midst of our mistakes. Lord Jesus, what a savior you are. We look forward to seeing you face to face and uh, to thank you and to bow before you and uh, the fact that we're not only your servants, but you call us your friends. And what an existence you've given us to look forward to that will last for all eternity. Our minds can't even begin to conceive what it's going to be like, the joys, the happiness. So, Father, keep us in the meantime uh, for, however, for however long it takes. Is Jesus going to return in our lifetime? We don't know. All we have been told is to remain loyal, to remain steadfast. We know that you will be that way with us. You'll never leave us or forsake us. Give us the strength daily to be drawn closer to you and to cling ever closer to our salvation. Thank you. We praise you. We honor you. And we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.